we're in a series called Encounters with Jesus, and we're looking at different people's encounters they have with, with Jesus Christ, God on earth. And we are going today to be going to John chapter 18. David's going to be preaching out of this chapter of verses, and um, he's asked me to, to speak into this or to read the scripture before we start. And so just context is Jesus has been come before the Roman governors, and he's being tried by the Jews. They want to crucify him. So we pick it up in verse 28. It says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but so that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled in which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered and says, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put him in a purple robe. And they said to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered and said, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, Pilate, when he heard this saying, he was even more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered and said, You could have no power at all against me unless it has been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who's delivered me to you has the greatest sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. 
Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then they delivered him to them to be crucified and they took Jesus and led him away. And Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place, the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where there they crucified him with two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the centre. Now Pilate wrote the title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth. King of the Jews. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, New Life Coolangatta. So excited to be here today. I hope you guys are as excited as I am to hear what God might have to say to us today from the Scriptures. Thank you so much for reading the Scripture today, Scott. Um, we are currently in a series called Encountering Jesus. And the whole purpose of this series is to explore the many different moments the ordinary people bumped into a Jesus, bumped into Jesus and had extraordinary transformations sometimes they came and they expected it sometimes they didn't and so we're going to be looking at this encounter it's in John chapter 18 verse 28 and we're going to be reading through to 1919 as Scott just did if you have your bibles i'm going to invite you to open there as we're going to be flowing in and out as you turn there, if you haven't met me, my name is David Skembri. I get one of the joys of being, uh, of being a pastor here at New Life Coolangatta, and it is genuinely such a joy to be a part of this community and part of what God's doing in this place. And so if you haven't met me, I'd love to meet you downstairs over a delicious cup of coffee. Woo. So week five, encountering Jesus. Week five. I actually, when I was writing this, I was shocked we were in week five already. I've been loving this series, and it's gone so quickly. And I'm sure as you guessed... From the reading, today we're going to be continuing this series by looking at the, uh, at the encounter of one man, Pontius Pilate. See, as um, Scott introduced and explained, the story of Pontius Pilate begins totally outside of Pontius Pilate's control. Jesus is betrayed and arrested and dragged before the Roman government to face trial. And maybe you wonder, why the Roman government? We see throughout the scriptures, the Jews are more than comfortable throwing stones at people and, and doing it that way, you know? And so, so why did they need the approval of the Roman government? Well, the problem was, was that what Jesus was preaching was so beautiful and attractive, it had amassed a following. And the Jews believed the only way to quell it was to kill him in such a brutal and merciless way that it would show without a doubt that he was shameful and his words should be forgotten. But there's only one painful and shameful way to kill someone in that day and age, really the way they wanted it, and that's crucifixion. And to crucify someone, you got to get the Roman government to do it. So to get Jesus on that cross, first the Jews had to convince one man that Jesus deserved to be up there. And so this representative of Rome, the prefect and governor, Pontius Pilate, held all of the power over what would happen to Jesus. And so he begins to preside over the case. As he spoke to Jesus, he became, we see in the scripture, convicted and convinced of something unique, innocent, and powerful about the man, Jesus. And yet something weird happens. Pontius Pilate keeps going back to the crowd, keeps listening to what they have to say. 
And somehow he willfully ignores his own heart, his own beliefs, his own fears. And other accounts even say he ignored his own wife. I hear that's a real dangerous thing to do, never ignore your wife. But he ignores his own wife. And ultimately, to appease a crowd he thought, that he thought was wrong, to protect a job, a position, a status, his place in the world, the voice of the, the crowd swayed his actions. It convinced him to defy his own beliefs and punish someone that he thought was innocent. How does this happen? What could bring us to this place? And we're going to take a minute throughout today to examine what Jesus might be saying through these scriptures and how we might learn from this encounter how to live a life that is more rich and full. In Jesus' name, before we do, would you join with me in prayer? Oh, holy Jesus, we just thank you so much that you're in this room. No, we ain't begging and scratching at the door for your presence. No, you died on a cross to make yourself present here. Nothing's holding you back. And so we know for a fact with confidence in your promises, in your name, and in your character, that Holy Spirit, you are present in this room today, and you are doing a work as we let you, as we open our hearts, as we relinquish and allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And so my prayer this morning, Jesus, is that you would be doing something so special in our hearts that we would become willing to be vulnerable but willing to be soft-hearted and willing to seek and believe that an encounter with you today might transform our lives in this room this very morning for a more whole and beautiful experience of being human. We praise you, Jesus, that you have washed away every sin. And there's no reason for anyone in this room who names you their Lord and Savior for us to believe anything other than you will show up and do something beautiful. Stir our hearts with faith, I pray. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, amen. I am a car singer. Have you got any other car singers in the room? Anyone else in the room loves to sing? You know, belt out the banger, lyrics to your favorite banger, driving 110. I profit. In fact, I'm a car almost everything or right? I am a car everything I am a car singer. I'm at times a car snacker. Here's a free tidbit of advice for everyone. Pringles and driving is probably more dangerous than texting and driving. Uh, your hands get stuck. It's real awkward. Um, I am a car snacker. I'm a car philosopher. And at times, I'm even a car preacher. I remember one time I was driving through Burley, and I don't know if you know the Uniting Church in Burley. There's a big white cross that faces over James Street. And I remember driving past that, and something in my heart just stirred. I got, like, energized by it. And I was just thinking how cool it is that so many people in desperate need of Jesus, of the cross, are in the shadow of that cross there. And I just started thinking, is there a prophetic or powerful or spiritual thing there? And my heart started stirring, and I started getting excited. Now, here's one thing I'm not, okay? I might be a car singer, but I'm not a car texter. And shame on you if you are, okay? I am not a car texter very often. And I'm also not a grab my notebook and write down the notes for my next sermon. And so there I am driving along thinking, how am I going to remember the thoughts I'm having? And so as, I, as I'm driving, I think, I know how I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these thoughts out by starting to preach it. And so I'm driving, and I just start preaching. Now, if you don't know me in this room, let me tell you one thing about me. Uh, I have a habit of getting passionate. 
And when I really get into something, sometimes I forget myself. And so there I am driving along, getting real into this message, into this word. And I'm, getting, I'm preaching hard and I'm just like, oh, this is so powerful. Wow. And suddenly I look up and to my left there's a car filled with delinquent youth who are all staring at me and laughing. And I just remember feeling so embarrassed. In fact, one of them literally had their phone out and was filming me. And I was like, oh, I must look like a spectacle at the zoo right now. And you know when you come back to yourself and you think to yourself, I have no clue what I look like just then. Immediately I felt embarrassed. And I thought to myself, oh, what if my, you know, a future congregation I might lead, you know, this went TikTok famous, and they, they think, oh, we don't want that guy, he's strange, you know, or, you know, I meet a cute girl one day, and, and, and you know, they, they see this, this video, and they go, oh, he's a bit weird, I don't think I want to date him, you know what I mean, and I'm sitting in the moment, not only feeling embarrassed, but starting to feel slightly afraid, at all the different ways such a small thing could cost me so much. And for a moment, what this experience revealed to me was how easily I can become unhinged, and how easily I can become dislodged and untethered, how easily I can become insecure. How the things I've tethered myself to can be so easily dislodged when the, when the test or pressure comes onto them. It also taught me I'm incredibly dramatic and it's unlikely any of that was going to happen. But has anyone here ever struggled with insecurity before? <laughs> I love it. All the insecure people immediately go, no, you know. <laughs> like, come on, be real, hands up. Has anyone here ever struggled with insecurity before? Come on, ironically, that's the least insecure answer you could have given. Love it, proud of you all. See, Pontius Pilate in this moment was struggling with his security. He was caught in a wrestle between the inner belief, the inner reality he, was, he had, and the outer effect that reality might have on him and the people around him. And so he was dislodged between what was true and his fear of not being enough. And, and check this, when the voice, and this is powerful, when the voice, the crafted humanity with inherent dignity, inherent value and inherent worth spoke to him, it changed him. It changed him. It drew truth out of him. And for a minute, the voice of the creator that crafted him with value won for a minute. But then Pontius went back to the crowd, back to the crowd. And I'm wondering to myself, what happened? Verse 33 says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my, serv my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, in fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. 
With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? You might find it odd that a person like Pontius Pilate, you know, a Roman governor of Judea, a middle, upper class, kind of powerful person in an empire that spanned the known world, who in this very moment held all of the cards to that situation. How could a person like that be insecure? Or maybe in this room, you're like, I don't really care about Pontius Pilate. But maybe you see someone driving a fancy car who just bought a really nice house who whenever they seem to put their hand to what they're doing in work, they get the promotion, who seems successful, brilliant, and you look at them and you say, Whoa, how could they be insecure? Or maybe you see one of those charismatic kinds of people that when they walk into the room, the room notices, like they have their own gravitational pull, and when you tell a joke, you know, you look to them first to see if they're laughing. You know, those kind of people who everybody seems to like, and you think, how could they? Be insecure. And here's my thing. I'd argue that that presumes too much or perhaps even too little about what insecurity is. And I think before we can go much further, it's so important that we get on the same page. Because if we have differing perspectives about insecurity, there's a chance we're minimizing the power, the power we might have in freedom from it. And so we're going to examine what it might be. About a year and a bit ago, I got a job. I know, it's surprising. I got a job, and all my friends laughed at me for the job I got because they knew me really well. You see, I got a job in the construction industry, and I'm not really a job in the construction industry kind of person. I have little soft princess hands. Like, I don't do well in, like, that kind of place. And so, I I mean, admittedly, I work in admin, so I don't really work in the construction industry. But the point is, I get a job in this industry, and sitting in the office, I start learning all about the construction industry. Now, the company I work for, Windowline, they install windows and doors on high-rise buildings, okay? And, and, and something I learned pretty quickly about high-rise buildings is, is that they're really tall. Um, they're like, like, I mean it, like high-rise buildings are tall. And if you're standing at the top of them looking down, that can be scary. Like, you ain't going to be quite as pretty when you hit the floor as you were when you're at the top if you fall. And something in your stomach knows that. You know what I mean? Anyone else here scared of heights? Like, in that moment, you're looking over and you're like, "Mm -mm, humans are not meant to be here. You know, and so we get this sense inside of ourselves that there's a danger in the height we're at. And we get this sense because there is a danger to the height that you're at when you're at the top of a high-rise building. Something else I learned working there was that to mitigate the danger uh, for the guys working on site, when they do this and they do have to install windows and they do have to be on the outside, we attach ropes to them. And those ropes we attach to them have to attach to something on the other end of it, you know, preferably a wall. And so something I learned working there is that there are actual walls on high-rise buildings that do nothing except for look pretty and stop a bit of rain from getting in, okay? You don't want to be attaching your rope to that wall. But there are other walls, structural weight-bearing walls, that are designed to bear the load of the building. Let me tell you, if I was to hang off the side of a building, I don't want to be hanging from a wall designed only to hold up some wall art. You see, and this is kind of like what insecurity is all about. 
You see, what we often describe as insecurity, and we use kind of synonyms such as underconfident or low self-esteem, this isn't in and of itself insecurity. This is a sense of our insecurity. It's a sense that something could be wrong. And we have that sense, just like when we're on the top of a building and we look down and we have a sense that there might be something wrong with the height we're at. It might be weird to be up here, you know, for our health and whatnot. Just like we have that sense because there's a real danger. We have a sense of insecurity because there's a reality behind it. We feel insecurity because therein lies a deeper problem. We are not secure. And you know, this deeper problem is the reason that today we see things like racism and sexism continuing to exist. It's the reason the prisons are full all across the wet West. It's the reason the sex slave industry booms and continues to boom. But it's not just the reason for the big woes. It's also the reason that I argue and bicker sometimes with my wonderful girlfriend. It's, sometimes, it's the reason that sometimes when I sit with my boss, I feel anxious or kind of a little bit unsettled. Insecurity invades everything from the biggest crimes to the tiniest gripes. And see, the deeper problem isn't the sense of insecurity. Our deepest problem is the reality of it. That so, well, all of us keep trying to secure ourselves and our sense of self-worth and our ability to be valuable to things that were never designed to carry our weight. We keep trying to attach ourselves to things that were only meant to support wall art and not hold a building up. T.S. Eliot, a poet, he said this, humankind cannot bear very much reality. Humankind cannot bear very much reality. And I think we see this in this. Instead of facing up to the fact that we keep anchoring ourselves to unstable supports, we seem to double down, right, as a culture and a society, we double down and we see it in marketing, we see it in all sorts of other things. We double down and what do we experience? A society that shames anyone who doesn't fit the mold or find their security by what's been normalized. Finance, popularity, promotion, applause. You know, these things. And what's crazy is, it's not like this is a new 21st century problem. This is something we've been wrestling with for a long, long time. You know, there was once a garden, and in this garden, there lived two people, right? And these two people were, you know, doing their garden things, you know, and, and one day a serpent, you know, snuck in, and a little snake rooney got in their ear. And what he said was this, I know what you've seen, I know what you've tasted, I don't know what life looks like to you, I know it's been good. I got a secret to tell you. There's more. If you just reach out your hand and do a little bit of grabbing, a little bit of work, a little bit of striving, a little bit of struggling, oh, you could be more than enough. You could find your enough. And these two people turn to their creator. They turn to God and say, God, we don't want to partner with you anymore and trust your narrative anymore. No, instead, what we're going to do is we're going to go with our own hands and strive against the grain of existence to prove that we are enough over and over again. 
And we often act like the, or, or, or treat like chapter three of Genesis as the entirety of the fall narrative. But the reality is the narrative of the fall goes to about midway through chapter 11. And throughout this section of text, we see example after example after example of people trying to secure themselves to all sorts of, of, of walls that were only ever designed to support wall art and not people. And they keep trying to tether themselves to things that they think will prove they're enough. And every time it falls short from the first uh, kind of story after the Garden of Eden, where some guy didn't want to relinquish his grain. He thought, I am enough because of how much I have. And when God said, let me show you, you're not enough because of what you have. You're enough because you're enough because I made you that way. Instead, he says, no, no, I want my grain to show me that I'm enough and refuses to relinquish it and ends up murdering someone as a result. Right all the way to chapter 11, where humankind bands together and gathers and rallies and says, I know what we can do to prove we're enough. Why don't we build by our master working hands our way into heaven? Let's get out our chisels. Let's get out our hammers. Let's start building a tower back to heaven. And sure enough, it doesn't work. And to protect humanity, God is forced to send them apart, scatter them away. And even when God resets, and we all start again with a new garden. Within one story, we see insecurity coming back as people are clawing at the door to find their self-worth. We see within one story the insidious nature of insecurity rearing its destructive head. Friends in this room, insecurity is a plague that we all struggle with and we just can't seem to shake. You know, for so many of us in this room, it's a reality that we are experiencing every single day. This isn't something to be preached like a theology book. This is a reality, an experience we know so intimately well, where it cripples us, robs us of our joy, demeans us, leaves us feeling unworthy, unlikable, unlovable, unwanted, like failures, hope, hopelessly trapped in these short, falling lives. My friends, hear me today. Insecurity is not a mental health problem. Not really. Insecurity is a sin problem. Insecurity is a condition of the fallen human heart, and we're all wrestling with it. And perhaps in this room, if you still think this isn't something you're struggling with, I want, I want to challenge you just to pause in your heart, soften for a minute, and look back at your life, at how insecurity has continued to whisper in your ear at every pivotal moment, all throughout your life, driving you forward in perfectionism and promotion, but also in avoidance and fear. And it's been the loudest voice of criticism in your head every time you sense a failure, fear a letdown, look stupid, or maybe feel like you haven't quite succeeded enough. Every time, think of that you didn't try because you were scared of failing. And every time you can think of that you couldn't not try because you were scared of being that kind of person. Over and over again, we keep feeling the beckons to be anchored to a reality where we are enough. And over and over again, we find that what we are attaching ourselves to, to, to prove we are enough, for short, the moment is tested. So we jump back to Pilate, a man who didn't just sense his own insecurity, but like all humans, was riddled with its reality. He wasn't just feeling a bit unconfident. No, 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 no. He was riddled by the reality that he wasn't secured to anything. And through this encounter with Jesus, I think we can pick up two to three truths about how to journey life in a way where we're not conquered and oppressed by insecurity, but learn how to take power from it 
and how to rob it of the ground it's taken in our lives and actually find victory in different ways in different days in this battle. Verse 36, chapter 18, it says, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate said. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then we jump to John 19 verse 8 and it says, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Let's say if we're on the same page. We all struggle with insecurity. It's real. There's the sense of insecurity that can often feel like a confidence or a self-esteem issue, but there's a deeper insecurity, the deeper reality that that sense points to, which is that we are securing our sense of self-worth to things that could never support the weight of it. And we're doing it every day with all sorts of things, from other people's opinions of us to our financial you know, success, to that promotion we're begging for, to you know, the respect we're hoping to gain, or whatever it might be we continue to tether, to anchor ourselves to things that can't support our weight just to prove that maybe we might just be worthwhile and valuable after all. And it's like we can't shake this insecurity. And so what do we do with it? Is it hopeless? Are we defeated? And what I see in this story are three truths about how to look at insecurity and how we can genuinely find real breakthrough and real hope today. And I want to clarify something. I ain't just talking about a miracle. You know, you came here today and you're going to leave and never struggle with insecurity again. Look, I pray in Jesus' name and I believe in Jesus' name that would happen. But here's the thing. There's a word in the Bible called, um, I literally just fought it, forgot it, sanctification, it came back, sanctification, and it's this theological word, and it just means the Holy Spirit's process of making you more like Jesus, and the thing is, Jesus didn't struggle with insecurity, Jesus knew how valuable he was, he had intimacy with the Father, he trusted his, trusted his words and went his way because he rejoiced in the way of God, right, and so this process of drawing us to be more like Jesus, and the way the Bible talks about it is that it doesn't happen today right now in this moment in full. It happens today right now in this moment in part. Over and over, moment by moment, every day, more and more close to the image of Christ. And this seems more the way that God heals and liberates us from the damaging swath of insecurity. So what this means is, I'm not saying you won't wake up tomorrow and feel insecurity. I'm saying when you wake up tomorrow and feel insecurity. But I believe that Jesus wants to reveal to us a few ways we can respond to it and not be conquered by it. That we could take ownership over it rather than it owning us. Here are my three thoughts. First, we've got to hear the voices. I ain't saying you're crazy. Stick with me. The second one is we've got, we got to know belief ain't enough. I'm going to explain it. And the third one, we need truth. 
I'm pumped for that one. Let's start with the first one. Hear the voices. We are always the audience of two sets of voices. It says in uh, verse 6 of uh, chapter 19, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is the guilty of the greater sin. I don't know if you noticed throughout this story, but Pontius Pilate was subject to a contest of truths. First, he faced a crowd. They were rowdy. They were passionate. They were emotional. They were influential. They declared with great conviction and with mocking and with threats and threatening ways. They believed that they had a truth. And so they pushed the agenda of this truth as only a crowd can. But it wasn't the only voice that Pilate could hear. After each facing of the crowd, he came back inside and was faced with another voice. The voice of reason, the voice of reality, the voice of truth, the voice of Jesus. Pontius Pilate in that moment heard clearly that there were two sets of voices either side of him promising a truth that he needed. You had the crowd and you had the Christ. You had the rebels and you had the righteous one. And this isn't an experience that was unique to Pontius. Every single minute of every single day, friends, in this room, we are bombarded with declarations of truth from every facet of life. And it is overwhelming. Anyone else overwhelmed with reading a news article that says, the ultimate solution to all your problems has been found. You know, try this diet. Or, you know, this new financial investment will change your life and you will finally feel the freedom you've always wanted. Or here's three simple trips from, tricks for making friends wherever you go. You know what I'm saying? Everywhere we go, we are fed with narratives that tell us they have the truth, they have the answer, they have the solution. There is a crowd around us pushing their, fat, their declarations of truth to us all the time, and it is overwhelming. But then there's scripture, and there's the Holy Spirit, and there's godly fellowship, and there's the power of prayer. Cumulatively, the second set of voices. A second set of voices. And what it offers us is to be grounded in truth. Friends, this is why as a church we harp on about small groups. Because in small groups you have a community, a godly fellowship around you that is grounding and offering reality and truth to each of us who are all in desperate need of it and in always in the danger of being thrown aside and tossed to and fro like the waves without that grounding. If you're not in a small group, I'd encourage you, head downstairs to that info desk and have a chat to the person sitting there. We would love to see you in one. But here's the thing I notice in this scripture just having access to a truth isn't the same as hearing it. It's our responsibility to hear the voice 
of Jesus. Pontius Pilate, time and time again, went back inside and listened to Jesus' words. At any moment, he could have said, I'm staying out. I like the crowd. They're cool. They seem to be nice to me. I'm digging this. I'm staying. No, every time he said, I'm not going to sit here and appease the crowd. I'm going to go back in, and now I'm going to listen to the testimony, the truth of Jesus, and I'm going to hear what he has to say. And friends, today, we have to do the same. We need to hear the voices, and we need to make a point of hearing the voices that matter, the voice of Jesus, the voice of his scripture the voice of his Holy Spirit, the voice he reveals in prayer, and the voice he reveals through a godly fellowship. And that is our responsibility. If we ain't turning up to small group each week, week, if we're not turning up to our scriptures or prayer or pausing to hear the power of the Spirit each week, and we wonder why we're riddled with the voices of lies and they're dominating our life, my friends, you have your answer. You've got to make the effort to walk away from the crowd, head back inside, and chat to Jesus. Make space to hear his voice. Time and time again, we're going to let his truths wash over us. Second point, belief is not enough. Believing is a great start, but it's not enough. And I want to clarify, I struggle to write this. I struggle with how to word this. Um, But here's the point. Believing in the name of Jesus, like truly believing in the name of Jesus, shapes how we live. It shapes how we respond. Believing in Jesus leads to salvation, true fellowship with God, and eternal confidence, right? So, So belief leads us to that place of salvation, but true belief doesn't stop at just a belief. It informs action. It shapes the narrative of our lives. In verse 12, it says, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Why? Because he believed Jesus should be free. Because he believed Jesus was an innocent man. And he said, I am going to make it my mission, my intention to set him free. Okay, well, how does that go, Pilate? All right, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. And in, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. And finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. How did that happen? Pontius believed in Jesus. He believed that Jesus was innocent. He believed that Jesus had truth. He was convicted and afraid, and he had a sense of the importance and significance of Jesus. He believed in Jesus, but in the end, he partnered with the crowd. Friends, ultimately, it doesn't matter what we believe when it comes to insecurity. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what we believe. What matters is whose truth we will trust enough to live out of. That's the ultimate truth. Which narrative are we willing to secure our lives to today? Are you going to secure your life to the war that is the lies of the crowd? Or is your highest priority going to be securing yourself to the truth of Jesus? What will you do today? What will I do today? What will we do when we go out of this place and we're faced with the hounding voices that tell us we don't measure up, we ain't enough? This isn't a David thing. Everyone in this room, all around us right now, hears those same voices tearing us down and hurting our hearts. And the reality is, 
It doesn't really matter at the end of the day whether we are secure or not. Anyone else been afraid of something irrational? Anyone ever been afraid of something irrational? I'm terrified of water, not because I might drown. It's just wet and scary. I'm English. I don't swim. And so I'm scared of water. And so I look at water and I feel an irrational fear of it. Jump in, fine. But getting from the there to the there, that's hard. You know, as Christians, we are secure. Jesus is enough. He is the wall that can stand. He is the rock on which we can build our lives. He is my hope, and he is the one who will never fail. His truths are steadfast, and he is faithful to us. That is a guarantee. When he said, I am able to make you stand, let me tell you, friends, that means we ain't going to fall. When God says it, I believe it. But we can have irrational fears. And sometimes we get a sense of something that ain't true. And so as a Christian, I start hearing the voices of the crowd. And I start hearing this. And I know what I believe, but I'm starting to hear other contesting voices. And I, and I live as though the highest truth wasn't the truth I actually believe. And I have a sense that I'm insecure when I'm actually incredibly secure in Christ. Believing in and of itself, it isn't enough. It's just a launch pad. It's the starting ground. From belief, we can act but believing we can still choose in action. And even worse, like Pilate, we can choose contradictory action. Overcoming insecurity, it means we fasten our sense of worth and value to what Jesus says is true, to Jesus' words and Jesus' truths. We fasten our hope to the fact that God made us in his image. My friends in this room, if you feel unworthy, if you feel like your life isn't that valuable, if you feel like a failure or dirty or shameful, I want to tell you what the words of the Bible say. It says, God crafted you, the same God that crafted the universe, and of you when he crafted you, he said, you bear my image. You are inherently oh so valuable. You are inherently oh so worthy. You are like treasure and gold. And when God says it's true, who are you to argue with him? When God says, my friend, you are so valuable to me, that ain't up for debate. It doesn't matter how loud the crowd is. How, what right have they to argue with God? What power do they have to say, I don't know if they're that valuable. You know, they don't have any power. And here's the thing. When God says, I made you valuable, Jesus steps on the scene, and he cleans us of those marks, and he wipes away those stains, and he saves us from the marring smudges of sin and brokenness and wounds, and he does that. And what that means is that in Jesus' name, every one of us is enough. In Jesus' name, we are enough. And it is enough for debate. It is enough for questions. We believe it. We choose who to believe. We choose to believe. We choose to act. We choose to put the weight of our belief and our action in what Jesus said. We don't just say, that's a nice truth, and I think it's true, and then keep living like it's not. And the final point is this, we need truth. You know, Jesus saw truth as a remedy to our brokenness. There's a verse uh, in 30, uh, 1837, just in the middle there, it says this, Jesus answered, and as the band comes up, Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. I'm going to read that again. I think it's so important. One of the most beautiful scriptures in the Bible. You say that I am a king, in fact, the reason I was born. 
The reason I came into this world is what? Is to testify to the truth. You know, like the garden back in Genesis 3, we're daily faced with questions. Will we trust the comfortable, loud, normalized lives all around us, or will we anchor ourselves to the realities of Jesus? Will we find our self-worth in what he says, or are we gonna keep trying to chase it like the world keeps telling us to? Jesus is a king, but that's not why he came. The reason God himself put aside his throne, his glory and his splendor, and brought humanity was to testify to truth and save us so that we can live in that truth to proclaim what is real, to make known where we're misguided and to get those hellish lies out of our lives. Friends, that was the mission of Jesus, that we may find a confidence in the truth that in Him and His name alone, we are enough. You know, we won't find liberty from insecurity. We'll never find any security, in fact, outside of Him. Nothing can hold us up. Nothing can vanquish that bottomless sense of inadequacy except for him. He is our hope. And his mission when he came to our world was to give us a truth, to ground us in reality, to reveal to us the lies we've been lost in so that we may start living in truth. And you know, it's as though Jesus believed that if we just knew what was real, that would have the power to change everything. And you know, if Jesus believed it, I think I'm going to as well. The power of truth is freedom. And friends, it's available in new measure to us today. My question is, will you remember to hear the voices that are speaking? Will you remember the voice of Jesus when the voices of the world are so loud? Will you make space and time to return to his truth about how dignified, valuable, and beautiful you are? that you are enough in his name? Will you choose to put the weight of your belief in that reality? Will you choose to let that be the cornerstone? You just don't say, oh, I believe it. You say, no, I live it. That is my truth. That is where I put the weight. That is where I live out of. If Jesus says I'm valuable, then I am valuable. If Jesus says that we are enough, then we are enough. Maybe in this room, you you have never heard of this Jesus. The Jesus that loves us so, so, so much that he didn't just die on a cross and resurrect with no purpose, but he did it that we may live a life free from the oppression of the enemy, free from the destruction of insecurity and the inward hellish nature that possesses so many of us, all of us. That Jesus came to this planet because lies were squashing us, killing us and ruining us. And he recognized that there was a need for us to start hearing and knowing the truth. Will we come to him? We're going to pray. And once we pray, we're going to declare truths out loud. We're going to worship the Lord and celebrate his faithfulness. And in that space, I'm going to invite us to listen to what God, what truths God might be saying over us today. I believe that the point of this series, Encountering Jesus, is that we today might realize that what we need most isn't more of anything or this or that. It's an encounter with Jesus. Let's pray. Well, holy Jesus, I thank you so much that you are here in this room. 
that you're not afraid to show up. In fact, you died on a cross to make a way for you to show up. You ain't holding back today. You are present and you are at work and we can celebrate that reality. Come on, that you are undoing the lies that possess us and you are providing us the truths that liberate us today. That there are things that we all in this room wrestle and believe that have no place in the kingdom of God and is squashing and robbing and killing us every single day. And I pray that the voice of the enemy by the power of the name of Jesus might be silenced. And instead, we might hear the truths and the life and the freedom of Jesus. And in your name, Jesus, we might find hope. And if in this room, maybe you don't know Jesus at all and you've never gotten to know the Jesus that wants to save you. And I wanna invite you right now to start considering, just like everyone in this room, just like everyone Christian or not in this room, to start considering how you might find liberty from the lies that squash and rob you every day by turning, as Pilate did, back to Jesus and giving him a voice in your life. I wonder if you would start a conversation with him in your heart right now. Oh, holy God, we thank you that you have washed us clean. You have made way in our brokenness. That you are at work and that work is still happening. And that every day we may have the power to be less and less possessed and conquered by insecurity. And rather we may have the power to stand and thrive in freedom. Hallelujah. Jesus, in your mighty and powerful and beautiful name we pray. Amen. How about we stand and respond in worship?